everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. Welcome. I'm your host, Leslie Lee Third. I'm Jonathan Daniel Brown. Uh, and I'm Jack Allison. And we got a very mm-hmm. special guest with us here today. Yes. Very special. A very, very special guest. Um, you know, so, and we have a special topic too. So today we're talking about um, Alan Moore's Lovecraft cycle, um, Providence, Neo Namakan, The Courtyard. And basically, that's a story about this multi generational family conspiracy, right? And so we wanted to bring in someone who is a part of a multi-generational familial conspiracy. And that's why we're joined today by Mr. Will Miniker of the Miniker Estate. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, guys. Always love to talk. Uh, love to talk Lovecraft. Love to talk Alan Moore, uh, another figure who is also connected to my um, years-long conspiracy and web of associations. All right, well, let's, actually, let's start right there. So, Alan Moore, my favorite um, comic book writer, I think indisputably the greatest uh, comic book writer of all time. Like, no question, the, the GOAT. Uh, Do we all agree? You will not get an argument from me on that account. I mean, personally, yes. I'm like a Rob Liefeld uh, kind of guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, into Youngblood. Yeah, so. early Scott Lobdell, I think, is the only one maybe that uh, uh, could hold a candle. But Alan Moore's pretty good. I don't know, Leslie. Actually, I, I take it slightly back. I was going to say current day Frank Miller is actually the best comic <laughs> writer of all time. Uh, the master race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, Will, not a lot of people know this, but, you know, you actually edited um, Alan Moore's other magnum opus, his text magnum opus, Jerusalem. Uh, indeed, I did. Um, I would actually, I would, I would say rather, I published his <laughs> gigantic novel, uh, his sort of thousand-page novel, Jerusalem. I was the American publisher of it. I would not be so bold as to say I edited it. Because when we acquired the rights to publish it in America, it was understood that, you know, the text was the text, which was a relief for me because I did not want to line edit a thousand page book, nor do I want to <laughs> offer my notes to uh, the great the great man himself. Does, yeah, does Alan Moore have an editor? He works with like uh, he at least on Jerusalem is what I can do. Like, you know, he he works with people who uh, he's close with who do like a sort of a, a copy editing and also a continuity editing thing to make sure everything sort of lines up in this book that, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you read the novel, but the book takes place of over about a thousand years of history. Yeah. It, uh, so it's amazing. And there's a lot of threads that carry out throughout. So he had someone uh, just check uh, the book, but no, uh, as such, he did not work with like it, doing that book was very different than doing um, like someone's first novel or like the books I've done with uh, Jacob Bacharach or uh, Bacharach or um, other other authors. Mm-hmm. You, you just, just need somebody to read the book on the same drugs that Alan Moore is on <laughs> to make sure that it's normies. Uh, I was going to say he probably it. just does a reading with his coven, uh, and if it all <laughs> seems good, puts it out. If you read the, you know, if you read the book backwards, uh, back to front, the snake god will come. <laughs> right. I mean, I think he said something like, "Any sane editor would make me." cut the novel by about a third of its length, but he was just like, well, you know, but I'm not going to do that, so there, there it is. <laughs> he doesn't cut it's, many things, doesn't cut pages, doesn't cut his beard. He's yeah. Consistent. yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other, you know, great author, um, legend of weird fiction that we're going to be discussing today is H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Uh, one of uh, one of my favorite writers as well. I'm a big uh, Lovecraft fan. Have have been for a while, and it was very exciting to see Alan Moore take him on. So I just want to ask the room: what what are you guys' experience with H.P. Lovecraft? What do you think? What are your feelings on him? I um I think I got into Lovecraft uh, uh maybe toward the end of being in high school uh to early college, and it's it's just because of watching the Reanimator movie. Uh, I watched the Reanimator movie, and then that made me read Lovecraft stuff, and, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, as someone who's who's been online, I needed to understand what all these Cthulhu references were and everything. And uh, uh, in looking it up, I found that I still don't. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, that's ostensibly my experience. Yeah, I've always... Interestingly enough, uh, 
because Lovecraft is, you know, sort of proof that the public domain is an amazing thing, I've always really enjoyed the derivative works Mm -hmm. of H.P. Lovecraft. I'm huge into Reanimator. When you showed me Dagon, it blew my mind, Leslie. But every time I try to pick up Lovecraft prose, I kind of get lost in the jargon, and it makes me feel like an asshole. Jonathan and I are too dumb. Yes, we're we're morons. We're on this side. I can see that because it is, is very dense um, work, and I guess the uh, the pictures probably helped with um, Alan Moore. Will, Will, what's your experience with? Yeah, I mean, color I, them. I I'd say it's very similar. I mean, I think the the very the one of the more interesting things about Lovecraft, and it's something that um, Moore actually makes a big deal of towards the end of Providence, is the sort of tracing the kind of genealogy of his influence over contemporary popular culture, which is this sort of uh, you know, it it it's it's all it's like sort of all you know in the background of many of your favorite movies and comics and things like that. And I think sort of similar to what uh, Jack and uh, Jonathan said, it's this process of sort of reverse engineering the these threads which have created many of like you know your favorite movies and the horror and science fiction uh, and just sort of coming to Lovecraft as the kind of the real genesis of this whole sort of created really his own genre of of horror and science fiction in the 20th century. Yeah, it's like in everything, it's like, it's Hellraiser, it's lots of Stephen King stuff. Annihilation, the movie is, that's in theaters now, is basically just like The Color Out of Space, the H.P. Yeah. Uh, Lovecraft's short story, just um, with, instead of like a, uh, degenerate farm hands, it's like jocks and nerds. <laughs> or, you know, like John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. You know, or- uh, or really like it, any anything John Carpenter does yeah. has that has that tinge of ethereal psychological freak out even even his non horror films I would say like uh, they live certainly has this this you know the idea of of, of like yeah old, unknown like old a, creatures that have yeah. been there before us and control everything we do and exist in the back of all of our thoughts yep. <laughs> <laughs> And so, Alan Moore, huge fan of H.P. Lovecraft, lots always influenced by him. You can see that even in Watchmen at sure. the end, where the squid. yeah, the space, yeah, the, te- yeah, yeah, the, the tentacle giant monster. <laughs> yeah, like so, is it fair to say that H.P. Lovecraft invented hentai? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I, I would say that. Um, actually, um, the 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 reason I ended up publishing Jerusalem was because uh, at the publishing house I used to work at, Livrate, we had first contacted Alan Moore and been in touch with him because he ended up writing the introduction to uh, Leslie Klinger's um, annotated edition of the stories of H.P. Lovecraft. And he Mm. he wrote a brilliant um, introduction to that collection, which is a great collection, by the way. Um, so we already had his contact when I read an article in the Guardian that said he was working on this like much spoke hu- spoken about in hushed tones million word novel, <laughs> and I thought, well, gee, as long as I have um, his agent and his uh, his email contact, uh, might as well drop a line to see if they have an American publisher, and uh, that was it. wow. That's called networking. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, That's how the big boys do it's it. It's cool because it fits into Moore's anti, you know, mega corporate ethos. Like you know that like if if he wanted to, Alan Moore could go to a like a Harper Collins or something like sure, that, anybody, or, or a Simon Schuster, and he you know he doesn't like them. Yeah, which is cool. Like the same way he doesn't like DC Comics or Marvel. He doesn't fuck around with these hacks. I just want to jump in really quickly, and I know uh, uh, before we started recording, we promised Leslie that we wouldn't go on too many detours, but I just want to correct the record here and, and say that tentacle porn and hentai was because of the censorship laws in Japan, uh, uh, is why they oh, had to geez. start using tentacles. Well, uh, so Lovecraft, I just don't want to leave that out Lovecraft there. Like he, was, was, he did not create hentai. That's, there's an important uh, Lovecraft uh, was a very Lovecraft hentai. was a sexually repressed dude, Jack, and... 
The same, and, and I mean, he did not create hentai though. Let's no, let's be fair. Let's give credit where it's Jesus due. Okay, Christ. I think I think just Jack wants to give the uh, the true uh, originators of hentai their due. Yeah, so all. let's move on. Like I just like I had to put that out there. Sorry, Leslie. <laughs> yeah, I no, I know the hentai historians do yell at us every time we talk about this for some reason, disrespecting I, our shojin porn. <laughs> So, so that's something that that we should talk about, right? H.P. Lovecraft, kind of a fucked up guy in a lot of ways. Um, very sexually repressed, very extremely like extra racist. Like he was more racist than the races of his time. A lot of people will talk about his work and try to defend him, say, "Oh, he's just as racist as in." Like, no, no, he was like the racist that other racists didn't like now he did you know yeah be- this this is not st- did- twitter steven universe's racist like anger this is like legitimate the guy could have been in the aryan nations <laughs> i mean but, I, uh, but- not, not even, I mean i don't know it's like lovecraft's um it comes across in uh most it's i mean it's present in all his work but um it comes across most strongly i think in the stories he wrote that are based on his time in New York City. Yeah, he, uh, he moved to New York City, you know, with great hopes. Uh, and was very, uh, like many people, came to the city with a, uh, you know, bright eyes and big dreams. But of course, was uh, horrified and uh, by all of it. He hated it precisely because of you know it was crowded, but also because it was threw him into a world in which you know there were basically. Uh, it, not just you know uh, black people or Asian people or just it, like basically in his worldview, anyone outside of like old New England stock just didn't yes. belong to him, and he and, and he was repelled and sort of terrified by. And I think like his this this very specific kind of racism is sort of. Um, in a way, what makes – I think it informs the overall sense of kind of alienation from the yes. human race that, that comes across in his horror and in a way makes it so uh, affecting and kind of original. Yeah, the, like the terror so of he, the other. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Like – so my thing is I always say like he was he was also racist against like other white people, right? Like, Yeah. No, I mean it, I, just real quick like in, in, in a lot of his um, – like the Eldritch stories, the ones that take place in uh, in New England, in, in Massachusetts, um, again, like, uh, like whether you mentioned the Colorado Space or the Dunwich Horror, uh, in a lot of his classic stories, he is obsessed with the idea of – de-evolution and not just that like like you said that like other races are like less than human but that like even like his own white race or the own stock that it, without careful cultivation would just sort of slide backwards into a kind of subhuman uh, forms and categories like you know like the depiction of the family and the color out of space of these sort of like very poor backwoods new england type you know um, it was a major theme, and like, and also incest, it like is a major undertone in all of these stories. Again, not just about other races, but about his own. It was a, it was a constant, it was a, a visceral obsession in his work. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because he has this deep fear of like regressing to the subhuman form, but he's also afraid of advancement because anytime there's a connection to and. Uh, advanced race, advanced being, being, advanced knowledge, that just leads to insanity as well. So basically, H.P. Lovecraft was afraid of almost everything. Yeah. Yeah, so his racism in that context is not as significant to me as it is to other people because he's literally feared everything that you can possibly conceive of. Sometimes it can take... The greatest coward to create the greatest horror. Yes. <laughs> Only if you're afraid of everything can you find terror in I everything. Mean, as true centrists, regression and progression are the same thing. So I have no comment. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Yeah, there was a lot of that stuff. I mean, uh, just, you know, as an aside, he was uh, he was good friends with Robert E. Howard, uh, most famous for the the Conan the Barbarian stories, and they had a long correspondence with each other. And I always thought there was this very interesting thing, and that there were these, you know, uh, Robert E. Howard, of course, probably more uh, interestingly so because you know Conan the Barbarian, it was like this all this very sort yeah. of macho uh, sword and sandals kind of shit, and. You know, like Conan the Barbarian is like the the ultimate, like you know, masculine sort of ego figure. But you and know, anti civilization, yeah, anti civilization. Right? But both of them were very sort of just like weak 
kind of mama's boys and Robert E. Howard famously <laughs> uh, killed himself after his mother died. So, you know, there's very, there's very sort of prissy I didn't know that. Them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, that is like... That, that is one of the things I liked in, in Providence. I just, you know, I, I don't want to lead the conversation yeah. here. But the depiction of Lovecraft as kind of an Ignatius Riley type, uh, uh, I uh, appreciated a lot. Well, let's, let yeah, well, let's use that actually. That's a good segue. We can dive right into uh, the... Uh, the, the unholy trilogy that we read over the last few weeks. Uh, it's a chronology, bibliography, biography, and biblical reinterpretation of Lovecraft, really. And it's it's Alan Moore's I mean it is as it is basically Alan Moore's love letter to the man. And that's uh the courtyard Neonomicon in Providence, which is a, a highly recommended read However, it's not recommended. It's required for this episode, required. especially. Yes. It's required. Uh, I mean, I, I would, I, you know, I've I've read all of Alan Moore's stuff, and uh, like I said, I'm a big fan. And honestly, I would say beginning with the Courtyard and then up through the the three volumes of Providence, like his Lovecraft cycle, I would say stands among his strongest work of all time. Like right, right up there with From Hell, in my opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. It's probably the closest to From Hell, I think. It's the closest, I mean, in that it is, I think, in addition to being an incredible portrait of not just Lovecraft, the individual, who is only really a small figure in, in these stories, but really what it is is kind of, I think you, it's like a biography of his work itself, not, mm-hmm. not right. the individual. Not- and I think what's in, what, what he does uh, so well here is a, a, in a work of historical fiction, that is, um, again, weird at the edges, you know, at the fringes of it, but could otherwise be a portrait of America in the um, 1920s, I think, or like the, the around mm-hmm, the aughts mm-hmm. or yeah. teens of the... Post-World of, War One, Yeah, post-World War One America um, is, uh, you know, uh, very vividly rendered. But I think what he does in this cycle is Lovecraft's stories and writings, right? Like the thing that people most know about them is this sense of unnameable horror is that, you know, that that's his favorite trope is that, you know, the, the indescribable that it just like just outside the edges of our consciousness. And I think quite ambitiously what Alan Moore tries to do in this series, especially because it is a, a visual uh, medium as well. It's a graphic novel. It's they're all um, the art is all by Jason Burroughs is to uh, show or to render the unnameable in Lovecraft's work, not just to represent it visually, but to represent it psychologically as well. And essentially to confront directly um, sex, race, uh, incest, uh, rape, all of these things that are, again, never mentioned in Lovecraft, but always present. And to render a portrait of that within as sort of these disgusting undercurrents of American society itself, I think is what Moore does so brilliantly uh, in this in this book. He brings it all out in the open in a uh, in a really haunting yet, I mean, yeah, very familiar way. Which is, I guess, yeah, I think the familiar way. I think that's the way to get into it because he started with the courtyard, which is mm-hmm. a very like it's almost like a a very dark episode of CSI basically. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's a, like it's, you know it's a two episode, two issue, I mean it feels like a one shot. Yeah. And it's very easy, you don't need to actually know much about uh Lovecraft at all and to in fact it's barely it's 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 it's, it's very much in the subtext. Uh it's about a guy named Aldo Sachs uh who is in Red Hook, New Jersey and he's a brilliant FBI Red Hook, Brooklyn. Oh, sorry. Did I say New Jersey? Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I, always, I always fuck up. Uh, this is really embarrassing as a West Coaster, but like I always fuck up Red Hook and Red Bank, and I get the two mixed up in my head, which is why. Anyway, it's embarrassing. Shameful. Uh, he's in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and he is looking for a guy named Johnny Carcosa. And Johnny Carcosa is a drug dealer who at this rock club – Keeps getting these these normal, well-to-do, upper-middle-class white people fucked up before they go on these horrifying, gruesome killing sprees. Yeah, he turned. Yeah, yeah, all the people who take his drug turn end up turning their friends or family into like uh, flower installations or some shit like that. Like some really weird, creepy. Uh, they cut weird symbols into them, and like, and so it's like 
it's a good story. It's an interesting story. It's, I like the art. I like the style. But it's very, you know, it felt like a one time deal like I, I read it when after it came out and i really just thought like oh this is cool alan moore is doing a lovecraft story but he's right here he's building the seeds to what becomes like this epic uh tale much much later on that you don't really realize when it starts yeah Neo- neonomicon didn't come out for seven years I mean, it took him seven years to follow it up with a four issue miniseries he and he had a uh he had a a, a miniseries i believe called like yuggeth tales but that was that was more a series of of short stories that were not connected to this larger, grander narrative. More was prepping. And the thing that's interesting, I remember I remember reading uh, the Courtyard and Neonomicon when it first came out, and those are the those are the stories that are set, I guess, essentially in the present day. Like they take mm-hmm. place, it's taken for granted that they take place in a present day America. But again, just at the sort of at the margins of those stories, there's something about the world that they take place in that is very different than ours. That that's that's off. Like the cities have domes over them, hmm. and like there there there's just certain things that are like you know like just a little tweak that is showing you that like this reality is different from our own. And then with Providence, which he goes back, like I said, to the time in which Lovecraft was writing to create this kind of alternate history of America, he shows. Like I guess the conceit is that like it's a world in which Lovecraft's writings have sort of come true mm-hmm. or manifested yeah. in some way and changed the reality that we live in. Like for instance, I remember being very confused uh, reading the first issue of Providence, which takes place, like I said, right after World War One. Yeah, and the main character is not Lovecraft, but it's a uh, a newspaper journalist. Who is Robert um, Black? Robert Black, who is concealing both his sexuality and uh, Judaism and his uh, Jewish family um, from his friends and employers. Uh, the 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 book opens with his lover um, killing himself in a sort of pay-to-die gas chamber in Bryant yeah. Park. And I was just like, it was done in such a way that I actually, it got me. I was actually looking up like, um, <laughs> were there gas chambers in the original Bryant Park that you could just, I did the same thing. Yeah, like, uh, is this, again, it's like, so there are these little like uh, twists that like the world he's uh, portraying is not quite the same as ours. Yeah, so like stepping back a little bit. So like you have Corhart Yard, then you have Neonomicon, which is just like, fucking nuts right i mean so it's like oof. scary and disturbing <laughs> yeah. uh neonomicon is the he sort of uh he 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 takes and runs with i think the insmith story in a way that is woo, uh real <laughs> fucked up and frightening and you know again just makes the uh the rape aspect of it just front and center i mean that's yeah i mean this is in a comic entirely about uh, Dagon, Dagon, holy shit! So yeah. holy shit is uh, it's like okay, it's the shape of water, but not yeah. a touching romance, yes. right? It's not, it's not, not quite as beautiful as Sally Hawkins uh, cuddling in a bathtub. It's the shape of water, the max hardcore porn parody, right? Much less consent. It's brutal, and uh, and and actually. At first, when when another thing when we when I, when Providence started and I saw the connection, I was like, "How is this any in any way related to Neonomicon at all?" <laughs> and, and and if you you actually part of me almost feels like if you if you wanted to be like, and it's definitely not maybe this is sacrilege, but like if you were a complete and utter newbie, I I would almost recommend reading it in chronological order. I would almost recommend reading Providence first and then Neonomicon. I think uh, that that's crazy, but I, uh, it's an interesting uh, uh, thing to say, certainly. Well, I don't know, because it's like, if you are somebody who has no idea what the mythos is... I thought it was very effective. I actually thought that, you know, uh, uh, being sort of like, you know, unloaded into this insane situation and having that, and just having the ending be as brutal as it was and then to just cut away to this, you know... Uh, uh, to the to 1919, I thought was effective and uh, uh, and made me want to you know know what was coming up next. Well, um, I mean, in in Providence, uh, the I'm sorry, what's the name of the the main character in Providence again? That's Robert oh, Black. Robert, yeah, Robert Black. Black. Uh, so essentially, he quits his job at the newspaper and decides to write a book that is where he investigates the the sort of hidden 
these underground uh, sort of cults and um, mystics in in early American history. And in doing so, he ends up sort of visiting and taking place, you know, taking parts in a number of like Lovecraft's most uh, famous stories. And that's what's really fun reading it if you're a fan of Lovecraft is sort of picking out which story he's in or what's being referenced. And what's so cool is that when he goes to uh, Robert Bl- Robert Black, when he goes to uh, the town of Salem, which according to research done by uh, S.T. Joshi and others, and, and the who, who is Le- a character. And Leslie, he is a character later. Yeah. Um, Innsmouth apparently is based on the real town of Salem, and uh, but the FBI agents in Neonomicon and Robert Blake Black, I'm sorry, both end up in Salem at different points in history, but they end up in the same places. So you can see that over a century or so. Yeah, so let's let's get into Providence, like uh, real deeply. Like I I was really surprised when I started because it's a really slow burn compared to oh, yeah. what came before. Like like uh, Jack, you said you, but you said you liked that, right? So I do. I mean, I like it now in the larger context of having read the entire thing. But I also do think it's effective. Just uh, uh you know, so. I I, I want to ask you actually. So, what was the release schedule of these books? Uh, uh, like, so I I didn't know that there were seven years between the courtyard and Neonomicon. How long of a break was there between Neonomicon and Providence? Five years. Five years. But it came out very slowly. The last issue of uh, Providence came out in like May 2017. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So okay, it's cool. still kind of fresh. So I do think though that like reading it as a whole collected work that was like it did feel effective to me uh, uh, because it did feel like you know uh, uh, this absolutely brutal thing that I have no frame of reference for uh, uh, just happened. I desperately want to know what happens next. Uh, and now, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. It it, it almost had a, 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 the effect of being like an extended on media res sequence or something. So the funny thing is, like, a lot of people didn't like Neo Namakan when it came out because it was so violent and brutal and there was so much fucked up shit going on it. And when it came out, like, the publishers advertised advertised it as, oh, this is uh, Alan Moore's magnum Lovecraftian opus. This This is it. This is it right here. And then when you get it, it's just like this fucking gonzo um <laughs> silence of the lambs i can understand uh, story. I, I can understand and, like uh, taken in a vacuum how you might just think how someone might think like neonomicon is just like a mega fucked up lost girls or something like that yeah i mean yeah issue three is just one giant non-consensual monster rape yeah which, if you don't think you can top, there's a moment in Providence that uh, also uh, uh, is yeah. pretty unsettling as well. Oh, Many it's, so, it's, I mean, it was, it's all it unsettling, so much, man. It's so much darker. Yes. But like, so, so it it really takes a while for Providence to really get going. But I really liked it. It felt more uh, literary, for lack of a better term. And like, so like it, what I one of the things I like about the the start of Providence is like I even knowing that it was connected to Neonomicon. You know, this thing that Will was talking about of, like, a darkness sort of creeping in at the edges of the world, I thought it was effective to cut back to Robert Black and sort of strip away, you know, whether we know uh, – if we know anything, you know, supernatural is happening or not. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I want to – like, there's a moment I think it's in issue three when he's on the bus with all the yes. people in New England and he's like, you know, oh, are those seals? And they all look mm. at him and then one of them smiles and he's like, yes, they're seals. That moment was really effective <laughs> to me in reading it because I was like, oh, there's something fucked up going on here. And then looking over it again, I was like, or is he just trying to say that, like, things feel like they're fucked up even if they're not? So I, I don't know. I felt like that was effective to me. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, he's capturing that 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 kind of alienation that we were talking about earlier where he's on the bus with all of these sort of – uh, people with the uh, the Innsmouth look, shall we yeah. say, you know, fishy faces, yeah, sort of eyes close together, sort of small mouths, uh, <laughs> a sort of gill like appearance, and you know, and the constant references to to just a musky, cold smell. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, real or not, it, it creates in 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 the the. The mind of the reader, like I think, kind of the same sense of, uh, like I said, the kind of psychological dislocation of someone like Lovecraft from the world around him. 
I, I think it's, it's it's worth noting that like you you mentioned it before, but like this. Robert Black starts off in deep grief and deep sadness, and that's why he's going on this journey and gives it like a real grounding to his journey. No matter how much weird stuff he's seeing, you can kind of process it as a reader as, oh, he's this is the effects of grief as opposed to these are the descendants of fish people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he, he kind of had, he, and you know, by issue four, like he meets the Waitleys from um, the Dunnage Horror, which are kind of at the center of the uh, conspiracy uh, slash horror. And and Will, I just want to ask you, did you feel any similarities between the Waitleys and your your family conspiracy? <laughs> uh, not not many, I have to say, because they're they're the the, the Waitleys are portrayed as sort of. Um, Sort of sons of the soil, and I can't say uh, that that speaks too closely to my own background. Just a different type of family conspiracy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I you know my my family is more. I I felt more kinship with uh, the people who sort of uh, the. Uh, the society, the the Sap- Sapien society, the Stella Sape, what are they yeah, called? Yeah, Stella Sapien. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt I felt more kinship with the sort of like uh, the the blue blood types who sort of exile the Waitleys uh, from their little clique because they're too uh, too backwoods. Oh man, the uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of weirdly felt like uh, Assassin's Creed's history stole all of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the whole thing where it's like Desmond was raised on a farm. Although, like honestly, a- probably Assassin's Creed came first. So, the, so the, the correct accusation is probably that Alan Moore stole all of this from Assassin's Creed. <laughs> is Alan Moore a gamer? <laughs> no. I don't know. The personal gas chamber is like the suicide booth in Futurama. <laughs> but you know, do you know for sure if he's a gamer, Will? Oh, uh, I can I, I don't I can't say with 100% confidence, only 99.9% is not a gamer. He doesn't even have email. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm more likely that he's a Futurama fan, I will say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, uh, it is, the, the, he, he, uh, there is Alan Moore's anybody. a Rick and Morty guy because that shows for smart people. <laughs> he's big into Rick and Morty. He's big into a. He's big into um. What was the other one? I don't know. There's nothing Netflix stand up specials. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it isn't until probably issue six where we get into the really deep, dark, fucked up magic yes. shit, and with the with the scene that terrifies me to this day um would anyone like to take the lead on this uh, i don't <laughs> want to yeah this is, this is what happens in that issue is is <sighs> it's very sad it's 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 more rape yeah <laughs> don't worry so there's a very scary scene i guess i'll just take the bullet here yeah and just be the do one, it uh, uh who says there's a very scary scene uh where Robert Black, uh, uh, there's this 13-year-old girl uh, who's a student, uh, and she's like, come stay at my house. And ostensibly, there's like, I want to say that there's like an evil controlling her, (laughs) an ancient evil that is sort of speaking through her. It uh, switches over, well, it, you know, declothes the 13-year-old girl that she gets undressed. uh, And then this voice kind of hops over to Robert Black, uh, who not in control of his own body, uh, takes off his clothes while this girl is like, you know, uh, uh, screaming and resisting. No, and, no, uh, he's, is Robert Black in the girl's body. They switch. Yeah. Oh, really? He, yeah, he's yes. being raped it, 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 by the re- girl in oh. his own body. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I had to read it. You have to read it a couple times, maybe once or twice. Interesting. Or pick a full, and this is straight from Lovecraft because there's like several techniques for extending um, life. One is, you know, um, basically living in a refrigerator, which we see later in, that, that in the We see that in the first, uh, first issue of yeah. Providence, which is, I forget what story that's based on, but that's one of his New York City stories from when he was living on West 14th Street. But yeah, he goes to the apartment of a guy who's, you know, an old professor, but he's, he, he lives in this kind of uh, primitive, you know, sort of like air conditioning 
I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, right. Like a meat locker, but he, I mean, it's strongly implied that he is a. There's a, ammonia. A, a cadaver, yeah. 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 Cool, cool air is what it's called, mm-hmm. is what the original mm-hmm. stories call. And another one is uh, basically swapping bodies. And there's another Lovecraft story where this old man keeps swapping bodies with his much younger daughter against her will. And that's a really deep, dark story. And in this, and in this, you know, H. Alan Moore takes that to its logical fucked up end where, sure. hey, you got this fucking dirty old man who's living in the body of a 13-year-old girl. What's he going to do when a strapping long lad comes along? Um, and yeah, it's, it's fucking terrifying to even think about. Well, it's just like a being, uh, <laughs> being raped by yourself. <laughs> in while you're in another body is a concept a, that yeah, is truly terrifying, truly awful even, uh, <laughs> in every way, shape, and conceive form. Of. Um, but yeah, the scene is absolutely brutal, and uh, uh, and wow, uh, uh, you know, you explaining it to me, Leslie, I'm like kind of staggered, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> it's even worse. So, moving on after that, um, that's when things really just start to spiral downward for um, Robert and. Um, planet Earth in general. Right, the so, entire, uh, really, universe. Well, it really depends on your perspective, but we'll get to that when we get to sort of the ending of it yes. there. And so, uh, right, right before that that horrible scene, though, I mean, one of the things that I remember uh, vividly from Providence is I think the issue before that, um, where uh, at this point Robert is in the town of uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, which again uh, in H.P. Love, it was the basis for the ta- the college town of Arkham and the Miskatonic University uh, throughout his stories. Um, he's there doing research on the the secret society um, that we mentioned earlier, the Stella Sapes or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. And uh, this issue um, uh, it borrows from. There's a color out of space th- through line throughout it, where uh, there's you know a meteor has uh, hit in some of the farmlands and then he stays in a boarding house which is dreams dreams in the witch house right yes. um but in that issue alan moore does this really unsettling and oh, yeah, yeah, really yeah. great narrative trick of um repeating itself in these sort of circle in these sort of these circular loops where uh, both for the character of Robert and the reader, time sort of breaks down and you don't know how long he's been in this town or how he even got there. And it just sort of keeps cycling through itself in this very unsettling way. Yeah, absolutely. And you can read the um, back matter and he, and of like, the, well, you should talk about the back matter because I feel like most people, when they first read it, kind of skip it. But it's worth going back and checking it out because you kind of, because he gives his like really in depth perspective on these things that he's experiencing. Right. And it, and it adds another level to the sense of horror. The diary, because, you mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. have the entirety of Robert Black's diary in every issue, <laughs> and it's like just as long as the comic itself. Long and it's it And it's handwritten, so you have to. To read it by hand, and like that's the deal. Uh, and then there's also like any any literary material that Black receives on his journey through New England, you will get to read. So I remember one that really stuck out with me. I believe in issue four or five, he's handed a, a pamphlet about a, a Lutheran service. And, like, you can read all 12 pages of it at the end of the issue. And there's probably a lot of important symbology and, uh, uh, and, and symbolism. Things in it. But I just don't read that on my first time through an Alan Moore <laughs> book. I, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, if that outs me as uh, uh, lesser, uh, uh, I didn't read all the back matter. The, the handwriting makes it very hard to, to read all the way through, at least yeah. uh, in one sitting. It's cursive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With like cross outs and there are times when he's like trembling, so it's extra hard to read. Uh, um, but yeah, getting into sort of the uh, uh, unraveling of Robert Black's world uh, uh, and our world itself. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think the second half of this uh, uh, is, I, I don't know, very engaging Like, uh, uh, and, and there's a lot of interesting ideas in it. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into things before the ending or I don't know. Leslie, what do you think? Like I, I thought it was cool. Like, like a lot of this stuff has like historical, you know, backgrounds. Like, there's this great website called, um, what's it? What's it called? Fact, facts in defense of uh, 
uh, Alan Moore's Providence, uh, Facts in the Case of Alan Moore's Providence. Mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend anyone who reads what is reading the uh, reading along and getting a little bit lost to check it out because it gives you the background of the history and the Lovecraft stories that are being um, referenced. It's very in depth and annotates everything. And so the next issue after. Um, that scene is they open up with this riot, uh, Robert um, Black in this riot that actually happened in, um, I think it's Boston. And so like you see, immediately you see like this fucked up thing happened to him. And then he goes outside into the real world and it's crumbling around him too. Right. And like, it, it's just like chaos is taking over basically. Um, this is the this is the chapter where he stays with uh, the artist, uh, yes. the painter, who again, uh, whose paintings um, depict uh, like sort of this demonic presence in, in our world that uh, may again may or may not be real, but like you know depicts yeah this kind of social anarchy and violence. And once again, um, there's a scene where like he takes him like under his studio into these tunnels underneath Boston, and that is where like he. He sort of like uh, he Robert wants him to like show him his method or whatever, and the guy's like, you know, do you really want to see it? <laughs> and his method is basically talking to this giant demon that lives under Boston, and uh, th- throughout Providence, um, again and again, we, we return to this idea of uh, the submerged mm-hmm. coming above ground. This like as a kind of psychological metaphor. The you know like the, this 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 idea expressed in Lovecraft that you know the, the famous line where he's like our consciousness is just something that sits atop this like you know inky abyssal depth you know we're just like pond scum floating on the top of this, this depths that we can't understand and the most merciful thing is that uh, our minds are incapable of truly uh, perceiving reality. And uh, you know he and, and Alan Moore, I think he turns this into this kind of psychological and um, cultural. It's kind of a visual metaphor for again, like like whether it's the city, uh, the sunken city of Raila in the Cthulhu mythos that will rise again and 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 uh, bring Cthulhu into our world, or all of these tunnels underground, mm-hmm. which again is in the courtyard. It, it, it's something it's, that's it's throughout. The and the Anomicon as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's throughout the whole work. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I was actually – just now it made me think of uh, how prominent tunnels feature in uh, many of the crazier sort of uh, – remember in the Jade Helm conspiracy? And uh, there was this idea that all the Walmarts were connected with this underground network of tunnels. I don't know. I think, I think there's it's, something it's, there. There's something about tunnels in general that just – Yeah, I mean – the, you know, always, cloak always, and dagger. I mean, and, 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 and American history is filled with horror stories yeah. about tunnels. I mean, whether it was, you know, in Vietnam or whether it's like, oh, Goofy had a heart attack at Disneyland and they like dragged him underground right. before they took his mask off. There, like, there are rumored tunnels everywhere. And I think the reason for that is that's where the Illuminati meets yeah. <laughs> to this day. I think they have you know, that's the, what uh, happens in Deus Ex. You go into a t- yeah. tunnel near one of the sewers and boom, MJ-13. There's tunnels under Harvard where they like lay in a coffin and jerk off in front of yeah, each other. Yeah. And shit. Uh, <laughs> the Denver International Airport, that's another good uh, sort of underground or tunnel-based conspiracy. But again, as the book goes on, it be, you know it's more and more about like that this this underground city, these underground societies, mm-hmm. these unnameable things are rising. They're sort of coming out, and in that, I think is a very potent metaphor for sort of modernity in American culture. Yeah, the, the I uh, mean, they, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. You. They even sort of like name it that at the end. I think they talk a lot about like the rot setting in and like how like that's what Lovecraft was I, I, I think that that's uh, I, I can't remember exactly where it was but they talked about like that he saw like a rot that had set into society uh, also on a very surface level but it's worth noting uh the panel shape always changes when they go to these underground tunnels uh, mm-hmm. uh it switches from the widescreen panels to the uh, uh like longer you know top of the page to the bottom of the page panels um so that's probably very important too. So shor- shortly after this, Robert calms down a little bit, but he ends up meeting the man himself, H.P. Lovecraft, 
And the way Alan Moore presents HBO Lovecraft, as we said earlier in the show, is very funny, actually. Like, yeah. he uh, he really takes a lot of shots at him. He doesn't hide about, like, he, um, like, at one point, um, H.P. Lovecraft says something about the Jews and Roberts just looks at him kind of disgustedly. But he also, like, he feels very sorry for him. Like, he kind of seems like a really f- pathetic fi- figure under the thumb of, I think it's his mother uh, yeah. in the story. Yeah. And his, Who says his, he's an invalid, right? Yes. Like, he he always is saying, like, oh, he's so sick. But And Robert's like, what do you mean you're sick? Like, what's, what are you talking about? What's wrong with you? And he t- has this really strange way of talking and giving people's nicknames. And, like, he's creepy, but, like, in a – not in, like, a Lovecraftian way, just, like, as, a, like, a weird guy you might meet on a bus yeah. way. He just seems kind of like uh, an annoying dick a little bit. <laughs> And so, and so, after he meets H.P. Lovecraft, and his mom is—is is she the one who sees the shapes? Yeah, yeah. His mom is the one who sees like the invisible. That—that's sort of the um, oh man, uh, the from beyond. From beyond. Yeah, yeah. yeah that mm-hmm. that 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 story. Great movie too, by the way. Uh, yeah, another fantastic. All the Lovecraft uh, movies are the stu- good. Yeah. Oh, the Stuart Gordon Lovecraft movies are all top notch. Yeah, the animator, the animator from beyond Dagon. and Dagon are all phenomenal. I think From I mean, Beyond may be my favorite. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, From Beyond is great. I'm a big Dagon guy. And we yeah, had, From you Beyond. know, we had my friend Blair Erickson on who made Banshee Chapter. Not to plug that again, but that's also <laughs> a really good, really good uh, Lovecraft horror movie. I mean, Also yeah. based on From Beyond a bit. Also, Yeah, it also is From Beyond too. Um, but like the more craft... From from what uh the from what I've seen is 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 what a lot of the Alan Moore devotees call this this uh this set of works. Uh, mm. The Moorcraft mythos basically by merging the man himself into his own stories and, and casting him as sort of a savant prophet. It it contextualizes a lot of his ignorance in in, in a really fascinating way. Yeah. It's it's almost pitiable. Yeah, he's not really a you know the these these stories are beyond him now, and that's also in I, I I you know maybe I'm wrong, but it could be Moore's commentary on the power of public domain and how a story can transcend its own creator. I mean, I, I, I think you know, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I I I actually got ostensibly the same thing from the ending of the work. Like this idea when all the characters are talking about what makes Lovecraft endure. I think that the answer to that actually is. The public domain. <laughs> like these characters are asking, like, why did why was Lovecraft like the horror person who like everything stuck around? Like, why does he like infl you know, why does he influence every part of our society? And the actual real world answer to that is because all his stuff became public domain. And so everybody <laughs> stole from it and didn't get sued. Yeah, that's, so that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Yeah, so the big the big conspiracy is that, you know, the weight leaves were trying one way to bring about, you know. Um, the other world into ours, but Lovecraft himself is a result of a a similar a parallel conspiracy, and so his writing itself is a, it, and uh, Alan Moore does this a lot, where he proposes that ideas are basically the dreams and ideas that we come up that writers come w- up with are real and have a real effect on the world and have a physical presence to them, and he takes this to the absolute extreme in this in like you know something like um the last chapter of league of extraordinary gentlemen it's a good thing like there's a world of stories that people can escape from it's a utopia and here it's like there's a world of stories that want to eat us and our our reality (laughs) and then they come and invade and and robert black black uh realizes that he's been a part of this conspiracy he's the one who he was kind of key to it and he um kills himself mm. i mean i i i think i remember i i saw some interview with uh, alan moore who is you know in case your listeners aren't aware an actual practicing ritual magician mm-hmm. not like a you know david blaine type of me but he, like, someone who believes <laughs> although that in, would like, be great i would love to see yeah, alan moore do a magic <laughs> show in vegas or, like, yeah, yeah sort of like a, a pickup artist style <laughs> card trick magician but no like as someone who uh actually practices you know ritual magic and uh in the one of the few conversations i've actually had with him he said he said i like to think of my he goes 
you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, uh, a believer. I like to think of myself as a materialist, um, aside from the whole snake god, <laughs> um, which I thought was very funny. And I think, uh, you know, I think he's sort of self aware and cheeky about it. But um, speaking to this idea that 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 ideas and stories and 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 words have a kind of actual physical power of them of their own. I mean that is the idea that underlines the actual ritual practice of magic is the idea that, you know, in, in, in sort of tribal communities or like the, the, the idea that the, the power of getting a community of people to say and think the same words at the same time does have a, a real physical effect. And that is traditionally how we've sort of societies have used and described magic to use words and symbols to create a real effect in a community of people. And he was talking about how, I mean, like a, a, a close analog in today would be like advertising on a mm-hmm. massive level. Like how, what else can get so many people to see the same images and think the same words and thoughts at the same time? And he's of course thinks this is a, you know, has a very, uh, deleterious and, and rotten effect on our society, but there's also the potential for, uh, you know, great liberation. Like what if we use this power for something other than just selling shit mm-hmm. or, you know, making us, making ourselves dumber, you know, there, there is real power in, in words and ideas that can fairly be described as magical. Which, I mean, all this is reminding me a lot. Uh, uh, and I, and I think that in some ways the end, uh, uh, this is all reminding me a lot of the ending to Watchmen, which is like which shows that these ideas and themes have been like going through his work. Like this idea that we can come together as a community through fiction's impact on our lives is ostensibly what the ending of Watchmen is. It's a man like you know, Ozymandias is a guy who brought a fictional creature to life and put it in New York to bring humanity together. Uh, uh, so, uh, and in some ways, I think that the ending uh, uh, of Providence here. Um, feels to me like a weirdly like inverse the ending of Watchmen, where in Watchmen it's like a Cthulhu was created by a rich person to make everyone come together. Uh, uh, <laughs> in this, it's like Cthulhu is real, destroyed the earth, and maybe it's better that everyone doesn't come together. <laughs> but right. maybe humanity yeah. is like it's not. It's humanity's never world. been our world. Yeah, <laughs> right, I love right. the ending of the, yeah. Go ahead. And, and that's and I mean and that is the thing because he's adapting Lovecraft in the Moorcraft universe. I mean, like Lovecraft's whole thing again. Any any degeneration of humanity is awful, but also any progression of humanity is awful, also <laughs> awful and unthinkable. Because I mean, there is this idea that like. Again, that madness, uh, uh, just complete madness is actually uh, blissful and a relief from reality. And that maybe it would be better if, you know, we, if, you know, oblivion would, is better. Or is there something attractive about yeah. it? Yeah. At least yeah. when weighted against the, the true horror. <laughs> Of the universe, in uh, when 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 everything in the world is scary to you, when yeah. everything in the world is scary to you, maybe it'd be better if it was all just nothing. You know what? So, that, so th- I think I can get behind that actually. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why the last issue is so interesting. So it, it, the second, the penultimate issue, it kind of does this rapid fire history of every single Lovecraft story as if it happened in the real world. And then we come to the present where all the characters from the Neonomicon Neonomicon in the courtyard are there. And it's just them kind of blissfully walking through the apocalypse. Yeah, they're walking through, yeah, they're walking across a bridge (laughs) and like they're walking through a world in which like the tentacles have taken over, you know, like it's just the other world is bleeding through at the, at every corner of every room, famously, of course, in Dreams of the Witch House, that's how it sort of enters our world through this strange non-Euclidean geometry. Um... And the, of course, the uh, the main character from um, Neonomicon, the female FBI agent, Breers. who we haven't seen, we haven't seen since uh, since th- then, she comes back, and also uh, St. Joshi becomes a character, and he's there as sort of uh, another witness to the end of the world because he's like the, the the foremost Lovecraft expert in the world, and it's only fitting that he would be there. How do you uh, how do you become that? How do you become like the 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 guy who is the expert on that one specific? Like I'm kind of jealous. He never found fuck. His niche. Never, never fuck. fuck. Never fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
And basically, uh, at the end, that um, they all sort of come together and are witness to the birth of Cthulhu. I mean, like, I mean, that's the, the final daily mod. Yeah. yeah, it's the nativity scene I, I, uh, that, I, like, the, this new god is born into our world. I love at the very end, you know, because we, we've been talking, we talked a little bit about, well, also Neonomicon, as brutal as it is, does take place in something that we recognize as the real world and kind of uses characters that we recognize from sort of like modern fiction. Like these are kind of like CSI people. Yeah, you know cop, what I mean? Cop movie There tropes. are CSI people, you know, that are sex addicts and, you know, get raped by demons and everything like this. But at the beginning, they're sort of CSI people. And so I thought it was extra funny and, you know, I really liked it at the end when all this chaos is happening and you're more traditional modern characters are like, we can like read through this book and find like, you know, the thing to turn it all back. And everyone's like, yeah, that's not that kind of story. <laughs> like, you know, it's funny that it's like our traditional heroes are like, we can be heroes. And it's like, it's not your story right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Johnny Carcosa with Mr. What That Mouth Do returns. And oh, just man. Loses. Yeah. Can we talk about that for I mean, again, like talking about. Alan Moore um, makes explicit all of the things that are merely implied by the work of uh, Lovecraft. And one of them, of course, is homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Lovecraft. Tremendously scared of gay people. Well, I mean, he's tremendously scared of women, actually. I mean, I think that's like, like women don't exist in his stories. I remember reading Alan Moore said that in Moore's research on Lovecraft, he seemed to come across this something that said that Alan Moore only like I'm oh, no sorry Lovecraft only touched his wife once like he was just complete like any kind of physical uh contact with women was uh disgusting and horrifying to him and again I think I think that I think sex is really the unnameable in mm-hmm. Lovecraft stories I mean at the, at the bottom of all of those indescribable elder gods and tentacle monsters and shit is basically sex and I think that that's the thing that repels and frightens him more than anything, and that and and again more makes that explicit. And the Carcosa character is a guy who, at beginning in the courtyard, his face is covered by like a sort of surgical mask or handkerchief, and he speaks in this very sort of disgusting, slurred, uh, slushy way. And then, of course, you find by the end of Providence that his mouth is an asshole. So yeah. <laughs> again, just making very literal the things that are. Um, only hinted at in Lovecraft. No, Car- Car- Carcosa is, you know, is is a theme from Lovecraft's work that that people love to ape. I mean, it's uh, actually from. Um, it's not from uh, Lovecraft. It was from oh. um, Robert Ch- Chambers. Right, yeah, the, King, the whole True the King Detective, and Yellow, King and Yellow. Thing, yeah, True yeah. Detective. I was going to mention takes all of that King and Yellow stuff, and I mean, really did nothing with it. Actually, <laughs> unfortunately, nothing satisfying. I mean, yeah. that was like I, I love the first season of True Detective. As soon as they started to actually like try to do something with all that Yellow King Carcosa stuff. It, it's it it sputtered out by the end, but yeah, when they were just it implying just, it, it was fucking awesome. Yeah, but basically, it was it's just Louisiana and Louisiana. Yeah, is, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm from Louisiana. It's fucking it is fucking creepy, but it's not quite Carcosa. <laughs> well, well, I know I know you have to go, but I just want to um, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I think we got a lot out of this. We could talk for a long time about this because it's a very dense work. It's um, incredibly yeah. dense. I really do uh, want to check out the the annotations that you sent me and, and go back and read it. And yeah. Again, like we sort of basically we, – we did obviously omitted a whole ton of stuff, but I, we went to the whole Providence. And I think the thing I'm impressed about talking about it with you guys is, uh, Jack, like you said, like what a slow burn the beginning is compared to how it ends up. It's like – talk about like – I mean, again, it's, 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 it, it rewards patience and uh, – but man, oh man, does it really take you there in a few places. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should have you back. I, I think that we should. Whenever you come on the show, we should only talk about uh, Providence. We should only have you. <laughs> you could probably Providence. do five more of these. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, um, and also, just just to clarify something I said earlier, you know, the hentai it could have been like parallel thinking, like where like two people in different countries are sort of like. But I, I still want to push We're back. You didn't create it. It always boils down to fucking. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, that's it. <laughs> My pleasure. Great to talk to you guys.
like what you hear, want to hear more, check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.